we do we outsource to basically local partners in in each area. Okay. And so we have two, we have a couple of different operating models, but one is we basically outsource to kind of hosted equivalents in local markets who will manage the cleaning, the check-in for us, basically. And then the other thing okay. that we've done is uh, we we also have a model where we we uh, the the team on site will actually own some of that, and so they'll deal with some of the operation the operations that happen on site, basically. And so as a result of that, they can actually do it quite efficiently. And they basically manage right. the cleanings and the check-ins and stuff. And then it's it actually, you know, the economics are, are uh, fundamentally different. Welcome to the Leaders of Tomorrow podcast. My name is Chris Thompson, your host of the show and the head coach of the Student Works Management Program. This is a show dedicated to young and ambitious entrepreneurs and ultimately the leaders of tomorrow. Each week, we will bring you an inspiring interview or message to help you create the future you know you deserve. Let's get started. Hey, leaders. I have an amazing young leader, uh, Sam Simons. He is the expansion manager of Lavanda, which is in the hosted property space. Uh, really, really kind of a unique space. Is I'll, I'll leave the podcast to describe it, but this young leader basically is, has actually um, worked with three of our most senior members of our team or, or, um, and uh, been key in their development as a uh, district manager and top performer in our business, went out and started a business with James Fedick, who's been on our podcast a couple of times and then moved to London to, to, uh, to further his career. Um, I think it's really great. Um, we've obviously got a, a mostly young leaders. You know, how do I decide what I'm going to do in my future? How to, how to, opportunities jump up? Where, where do I see them? How do I find them? You know, how do I pursue them? So a bunch of those types of questions will get answered today, or, or, or at least Sam's answers, at least Sam's decisions uh, moving forward. And um, uh, I know you're going to love this podcast. So, uh, um, and you know what I'm up to looking for amazing young leaders. So um, if you know anyone, send them to me, cthompson at studentworks.com. Send them to our website, studentworks.com, or share this podcast. Thanks so much. Have a fantastic day. Bye-bye. So, Sam, welcome to the Leaders of Tomorrow podcast. Thanks so much. Yeah, really, really excited to be here. Thanks for having me. No, this is fantastic. It's really great to catch up. And and just for our for our, our leaders, uh, Sam and I go way back. So it's not, it's not just way back uh, as, as an operator, but uh, grew up in a small town around where we uh, raised our, our children, he, uh, Flesherton, and we raised our, our, our kids in Thornbury. So Thornbury would play Flesherton in soccer matches. And Sam was the best soccer player in the region. And not then later that. on, he played rep ball, not, not saying a whole lot. It's true, but, but, uh, you did play Queens, uh, Queens varsity, but, but, and then he, he played rep ball with my, with my son, Cole. So just, just awesome. We were reconnecting before the podcast for a while. So it's just awesome to see you. So Sam, why don't you tell us what you were like before joining student works? Cool. Yeah. Um, well, I think you kind of, you've set the stage to some degree and yeah, so I'm, I'm from a very small town in Ontario, Flushing, Ontario, 700 people, um, about two hours north of Toronto. And so needless to say, I think, uh, opportunities are relatively limited and kind of your mindset is relatively limited coming from a, from a small town like that. So, um, I think 
my older brother and sister had a big influence on me and they're very high achievers. And so I was always very ambitious, but also realized I was very different from them. So I think it was interesting because going into university, I knew I wanted to go into business, but no one in Flesherton is in business or, or does anything. If you're a high achiever in Flesherton, you, you have two options. You can be a doctor or a lawyer. And that's all anyone knows. There's nobody in town that that has a business or that, you know, kind of is in is in real business other than maybe owning an ice cream shop or something like that. So right. I think, yeah, I, you know, before coming to Student Works, I, I knew I wanted to go to Queens. I knew I wanted to start study business, but business was kind of just a concept to me that I honestly knew nothing about because I had nothing around me to, to really, you know, show me what it was, what it was. About. Right. Yeah. Well, fantastic. And, and, and I know just, uh, you know, for our leaders, uh, Sam was a top performing operator uh, in his rookie year and he's a veteran operator of the year and then a, a top performing district manager. So uh, I know we were talking before a, a number of the senior leaders of the company work with, with, with Sam. So, uh, so, so, but what do you still rely on from the program? Yeah, it's a, it's, it's a great question. I think it's it's really interesting because a lot of what you learn, a, a lot of the things that you kind of learn or start to pick up do change. And so, you know, you learn sales skills and you learn marketing skills and you learn project management skills. You touch on a lot of different things within Superworks. But a lot of those change as soon as you move to a different context outside of, you know, right. whatever it is, painting, et cetera. Obviously, sales is quite different when you when you move from selling a paint job to, to, to anything else, right? Whether it's a software right. pl platform, et cetera. I think one thing that doesn't change is really values and um, you know, the student works values that you teach, I still carry with me. And I think I've, I've kind of, they've become more entrenched if anything, since I've left the, the program, but just, you know, having integrity and basically, you know, do what you say, be on time, say please and thank you. And what's the final one, Chris? Uh, rewards economy. Is, did I get all four? <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, no. That well, you were talking I about the four, the, the four referability habits. Okay. That's okay. You mix them up, but you know the 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 four referability habits is such an integral part of it. And 100%. and and I know I know as a as a leader in our business, I know we had some conversations about being on time, right? So <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> I think there were a couple. And, yeah. <laughs> There were a couple of tense moments throughout throughout my time at Superworks. So, yeah. So, Sam's an incredibly passionate, hardworking, competitive, and it, and at times didn't get. What do you mean? Why does this matter? You know. But one of the great things about our program is we're just committed to what we're committed to. So I just was not willing to have Sam not show up the way he needed to show up to be a great leader. And so, so when he was on our senior team, you know, we had some, we had some powerful conversations and uh, it's really great by the way that, yeah, it's really great that, that that's what you bring back to the podcast. Right. And, and it's, and it's interesting, you know, one of the, one of the great things that we do in our senior team is we talk about people like they're in the room. Sure. Okay. And we talk about what's great about them and we talk about what, where they went sideways, yeah. where they weren't performing. And, and that's, that's one thing that we've always done. We'll continue to do. And it's, and so it's like, you live on for both of those reasons, record breaking and okay, hold on, you know, we're not going to allow this and this is how we're going to do this. And, and, and it's, and it's great because really all there was, was Sam just wasn't seeing it. Sam wasn't seeing the importance of showing up on time or wasn't, wasn't sort of getting it. What do you think? What do you think you got? Like, what 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 do you think you discovered about just integrity in our program? I think for, for me, it's just a realization that when these things are in place, how much smoother 
everything goes. Yeah. And so, you know, to, to some extent, it's just growing up, you know, yes. I'm older now and like my peers and my clients, they wouldn't, it's not acceptable to, you know, show up late to a conference call or something like that. Right. And so yes. some degree is just that plain and simple. But I think another thing is you realize, you know, when you do show up on time, when you're polite and articulate in terms of, you know, how you articulate value to clients and to, and to colleagues within your organization, you know, when you have integrity and, and do the follow-up action items after the meeting that you said you were going to do and send it over right after the call, it just goes so much more smoothly. And if you don't do those things, then, yeah. then it doesn't. Um, so it's yeah. really, you know, they're kind of, I'd say just, you know, foundational basics of, of success. Um, and so that's been yeah. a, a real, a real learning for me. And, and I think, uh, very yeah. grateful to the program for having, you know, taught me my first, my, or <laughs> put me on that path to, to learning those. So, yeah, I love that foundational, you know, uh, basics of success or, you know, like it, learnings of success. Like, I think that's really, really great. And, and as I see it as as you go up the chain, meaning people get more and more senior, you know, you're dealing with a VP or a senior VP or president of an organization, especially the organizations that right now you're dealing with, they have it. You know, a lot of times people think, oh no, you know, they don't. Oh no, no, no. You know, just, you know, I always like to say, it's like, it's like, it's funny. If you watch the media or the movies, it seems like successful entrepreneurs or business people tend to be serial killers. That's what I notice. you know? <laughs> <laughs> really, really nasty people. That's, right. But it's not what I've experienced. But um, but who knows? Maybe it's happening, and I just don't see it. So yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. And I mean, I think I, you know, uh, you even notice that at, for for me, I work with lots of different organizations as well, and you notice that at an organizational uh, level as well, and just you know how organizations behave. Do they respond to emails? You know, literally within minutes of hanging up a call. Uh, to, yes. to either request items from you or deliver on items that that you have requested from them, um, and yeah. and the ones that often do and have super fast response times always do what they say. You know, no surprise, they have amazing reputation and they're super sharp. Yeah. And, yeah. and you know, and I'll, I'll leave it at that. So yeah, yeah. No, it's funny. I, I remember reading a study saying that that they tried to just look at integrity and what they considered integrity was promises kept. Sure. Yeah. And then they went and studied firms and they saw enormous over like like huge returns on on investment, huge, you know, again, brand brand growth, all these different types of things from just, again, promises kept, as you're saying. So so we'll jump off that. But it, but it is just so critical um, for it. So why don't you tell us? You moved on from student works. You know what was the, the 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 first thing you did? And 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 for everyone, obviously, Sam's young in the program. You know, sort of just how, how old are you now, Sam? Uh, I'm 28 years old. As a, a 28 year. years old, awesome, awesome. So so what did you do first, Sam? Yeah. So um, my fourth year at Queens, I was I was a DM with student works, and that was my my last year then. So I I finished up, and I actually initially moved to to China uh, to Shanghai. Um, uh, to, to work for a small startup there. Um, I'll skip the details of this, but long story short, it didn't, it didn't work out for a, a number of reasons. And, and the main one was I actually decided to start a business with another Student Works alumnus, uh, James Svetik, who I know has been on the, on the show before. And we decided to start a short-term rental property management company in Toronto together. We're both really excited about it, thought there was a real opportunity um, and so we actually went and and kind of you know six months after after graduating Queens was uh, was in Toronto running my first my first business basically with uh, with James another one of the alumnus alumni of the program. So Sam, one of the things I'm always interested in is for our leaders is 
okay, so what occurred to you and James about why there was this opportunity? Because before, like I'd never heard of this opportunity before. Now it seems to be a pretty, sorry, was a pretty big business pre-pandemic. I think it will be post-pandemic. But what was the opportunity that you saw and how did you find it? Yeah, I think so. Basically, working in in Shanghai, we were. I was working for a real estate company, and this was kind of. Uh, I was tasked with doing research for a very spe- sort of specific project, and this was just a, one of the one of the uh, basically elements of that project was basically researching okay. the space. So actually, you know, a bit a bit randomly in that in that sense. But effectively just saw how much it was growing and how there were a lot of legitimate companies that were really raising pretty serious rounds of capital to go to go kind of do this. Um, also that the underlying economics looked pretty good uh, when you ran some basic math. And I felt it uh, suited really well with James and I and our, our skill set. And so I thought, you know, hey, this is something where you're you're selling to single family homeowners. We're really good at that. We've done that before. We can convince people to to trust us with their properties and their homes because that's what we've learned how to do as student work. So, uh, had quite a bit of confidence that we could we could take it on and we could do relatively well. Okay, so why don't you explain to our leaders what the opportunity was, where the sort of arbitrage was, where the value creation was in your new business model that you were creating? Yeah, sounds good. So we were doing Airbnb or short-term rental property management. And so effectively, if you are a single family homeowner or you have maybe a rental property that you rent out for income, or if you just have a home that you're not there for a lot of the year, because let's say you're a snowbird and and you leave and go to Florida for eight months of the year, um, then effectively we could take your home and we would rent it out via short-term rental platforms rather than long-term rental platforms. So not getting you a 12-month lease but getting you a bunch of short stays by, you know, Airbnb. And there's a whole bunch of other platforms as well. Airbnb is a big one, but yes. Booking.com, Expedia, HomeAway, they're all different channels of acquisition, basically, for short-term guests. Um, and so, yeah, we would effectively rent it on, on those channels. And by doing so and renting it short-term, you can actually earn a premium over and above the 12-month rental rate. Um, and so the, the value proposition to a homeowner is a flexibility. If you're not in the property, then for a good portion of the year, then, you know, you can use it when you're there and then, and then uh, make income when you're not there. But then on the flip side of that, it's also an income premium. And so you're earning more money than you would be by doing a 12 month rental, basically. So that was the business and the, and the, the kind of core proposition for our, our clients. Okay, great. And, and certainly I remember, you know, uh, you know, conversations at least with you or, or, well, I guess the odd time you guys would call uh, and, and, and ask, ask for, for some help. feedback yeah. or thoughts or, yeah. So I remember some conversations about some of the, some of the challenges. So, so some of the challenges is, as I recall, we were very easily able to persuade and engage clients in this economic opportunity. Great. You're going to take my property off my hands, Sam James. This is fantastic. You're going to promise me this type of return. This is fantastic. And you're going to handle all the work, yeah. you know, the cleaning, the, 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 the transition from client to client to client. This is fantastic. And so, so in that promise, what became challenging for you? Yeah. All of the stuff we'd promised basically <laughs> so <laughs> the, the, the operations in short were are hard. And I think, you know, the, the most succinct way I can say this is look, uh, that the operations were incredibly inefficient. And the reason for this right. is actually very simple. So the, the, an efficient operating model for our business already exists, uh, and it's called a hotel. 
And so, you know, at a hotel, you're you're consolidating all of the operations in one building in one location. So you can use cleaners, linen, you know, everything is done very efficiently because it's in one space. Whereas basically what we did was we took an efficient hotel and we blew it up all over a city. And so your cost structures just become, you know, not scalable, not effective, not efficient, and your problems grow dramatically as well. So I think right. fundamentally that's kind of uh, you know what was the big challenge for us was just making the operations work at that scale. Um, and it's interesting because even much larger companies than ours, um, you know, there's a company called Hostmaker here in London where I am now that um, that you know they raise like fifty million dollars and they struggle with the exact same same reasons actually. Uh, it's just it's it's not a super efficient business model as it as it turns out. So yeah. Okay. Okay, so so because I because what why don't you walk us through sort of the steps? Uh, w- you know what happened next? I, I understand, and if people are listeners of the podcast, you know James went on and and created this as a course, and and taught people how to run their own Airbnb program, and uh, also wrote a wrote a book. What's I'm looking for the book. Airbnb, There's a book somewhere Airbnb around here. for dummies. Yeah, absolutely. Airbnb for dummies. Yeah, yeah. So, so, and so, so then, then, you know, what, what, what came next? James moved on and then, and then what happened? Yeah. So I think um, James and I, basically, we, we both kind of saw the same thing and really, you know, the realities that we were facing. The other really challenging thing was that uh, regulation in Toronto was changing. And so, uh, yes. While also operations were difficult, that was probably a manageable, um, you know, kind of obstacle to overcome. But regulations were were very challenging, and and coming in that we're going to change and basically make our business model kind of unviable as well. But what's cool about that is that we both, uh, you know, we ended on great terms personally. James is still one of my my closest friends, um, and right. we parted parted ways and basically went to pursue very, very different, but related yeah. uh, kind of endeavors, I guess. So James went and started basically uh, a course and and a blog and all sorts of amazing tools to basically help uh, homeowners and property managers rent their property on Airbnb and do so super profitably. It's built an amazing brand and course around that. And I went to the other extreme and basically moved to a company in London called Lavenda um, who basically we focus on the other end of the spectrum, which is hyper, hyper um, kind of corporate institutional landlords that own many tens and even hundreds of thousands of properties. And it's helping them do Airbnb and short-term rentals kind of at, at, a, at a huge scale. Basically. At scale. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So here, before we jump to Lavenda, so what do you think is Post-pandemic, because everyone understands how Airbnb in a pandemic has been really challenged now. They just went public. And so I think think the world sees, I think there's going to be an explosion of travel and hospitality. So, so, you know, so if, you know, if there's businesses there ready now, that means they have the capital, they're going to survive. And then post-pandemic, are these businesses going to thrive or, or will they figure out their, you know, economic management challenges what do you see sam do you mean for short-term short-term rental operators yeah like sort of saying saying well businesses exist like you and sam uh thought about saying hey i'm going to go and approach people you know people who own maybe own one place or you know want the hassle-free access to sort of say hey here's four months or 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 here why don't you manage my property i'll be here these months and otherwise you handle it are those those models still going to exist sam 
Yeah, I think I think they will. Um, it'll depend on the geography. Some cities, the regulation isn't as strict as well. And so, you know, it works there. The major trend that I think, you know, uh, we see is basically the professionalization of the of the space and kind of more at, at you know, at scale is basically to, to this point, major landlords and corporate landlords haven't had any interest. And in, if anything, they've tried to eliminate this within their buildings. Um, but we think that they'll, you know, really probably kind of embrace short-term rentals as a, as a tool and as an income generating uh, mechanism for them to, to drive revenue, basically. So uh, that would be my guess, basically. Okay. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. So, so you moved to Lavenda. So why don't we describe what Lavenda does? Um, so you're dealing with these massive organizations. You've recruited massive companies that own all sorts of land. So why don't you describe that? Yeah, certainly. So um, I guess a, a big thematic probably for the past 20 years is, is institutional capital pouring into real estate. And so what I mean by that is, you know, big, big pension funds that, um, you know, manage billions, trillions of dollars, uh, sovereign wealth funds, et cetera, kind of your biggest pots of money in the world, if you will, have invested in real estate because it's an excellent investment. And one of the things they invest in is, is, is residential real estate. And so rather than as, you know, you, Chris, you might buy a single family home or an apartment and I might, or or I might to, to rent out. On a monthly basis, you know they do the exact same thing. They just do it with ten thousand units, and they buy businesses and portfolios, <laughs> exactly. right? And so, yeah. basically, our values to them is we say, look, there's if you have a portfolio of ten to thirty thousand units, there's a space within that portfolio where short-term rentals can really help you drive income and create income, and it right. varies from client to client. But we basically, they don't like short-term rentals. They don't know anything about it. They've never engaged with it in the past. And normally they've tried to stamp it out within their buildings because they don't like their tenants renting on on short-term rental platforms. So it's a fundamental shift in perspective for them. We come in and we say, look, this can, when it's done right, be really valuable to you. And be worth millions and millions of, 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 of pounds or dollars or whatever it is in terms of income to you on an annual basis, if you embrace it and do it right and and we basically come in and we do that and we run that for them so uh it's really fun you work with some really cool companies uh and it's been it's been an exciting move no that's neat and so it's and one of the great things about this is this is last dollar income exactly i know you were describing some of the use cases okay if you have thirty thousand apartments that you know you rent annually well they'll be five to 10% or what is the percent or just some, some percent. So why don't you work through some of those use cases? I thought they were really neat. Yeah, I'll, I'll go through, I'll go through two. So one is basically in any real estate portfolio, there's a level of what you call structural void. And so that's just, you know, some of your apartments, if you manage 10,000 apartments, about a hundred percent of them are rented out every time. So for most multifamily uh, operators, that's somewhere around kind of four or 5%. But on a 10,000, 30,000, you know, one of our clients has close to a million properties that they manage. Right. It's just insane. It's like there's a lot of voids within that portfolio yes. at any given time. So what we do is we basically say, hey, while they're vacant, if you give them to us, we'll rent them out on short-term rental platforms and we'll make you income, basically. So we we fill that void and eliminate that void for them, basically, within their business model. And so that's that's a cool application. The other cool application is when a building is first built, if you have, let's say, so we're starting with, there's a, 
a 600 apartment development that's just coming to the market in London. Um, and effectively, uh, you know, if you imagine trying to rent 600 apartments in the same location at once, you don't do all that in one month. That's not going to work. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So what will end up happening is it'll happen over maybe two years, two, three years. It depends on the timeline uh, in the market. And so a lot of those apartments, apartments, those 500 apartments will sit there vacant for a very long period of time. And so what we'll do is we'll take maybe 100 of those and we'll run them as short-term rentals, uh, kind of as a hotel, basically, for um, until they need them back. And so until they've, until they've basically rented the other 400 apartments, we'll run them as a hotel. We'll make them a couple million dollars in terms of income in that period. And then we pass them back the units and they rent them long-term. So those are two kind of cool use cases that we, where we help. Fantastic. And so what, what's Lavenda done to manage the operational challenges of the model? Outsourced, uh, in short. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, fundamentally, I think this has been, we, we do, we outsource to basically local partners in, in each area. Okay. And so we have, to, we have a couple different operating models, but one is we basically outsource to kind of hosted equivalents in local markets who will manage the cleaning, the check-in for us, basically. And then the other thing okay. that we've done is uh, we we also have a model where we we uh, the, the team on site will actually own some of that. And so they'll deal with some of the, operation, the operations that happen on site, basically. And so as a result of that, they can actually do it quite efficiently. And they basically manage right. the cleanings and the check-ins and stuff. And then it's, it actually, you know, the economics are, are uh, fundamentally different. Right. And certainly you can see the model where you're, they've just completed a big building. You've got staff on site. That's a pretty easy model. You can, you can see, but you know, on the other hand, if you've got, you know, million places or million units and they're spread out all over London, not that they would have a million in London, but you know, so that, that becomes more challenging. So you can see the same things that they're running into. hundred percent. Yeah, exactly. So. Yeah, no, I always, I always love to sort of, you know, again, understand the model, understanding what's working, what's not working. You know, again, it's kind of, um, it's kind of goes to, you know, we ran into these problems. Now we know we can't really do that. Like, and like you said, at scale, yeah. it doesn't, it doesn't really work, you know, what's, you know, but Hey, somebody's cleaning apartments yeah. so they could do it. Exactly. Right. Like, okay. That, yeah. They can, they can handle that. They, they're, they've got a system, but cause really Lavanda is a is a technology platform, and why don't you describe that? Because that's really what it is, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. So I think we have basically three different operations models. So one is where we do we do all of the operations. The other is where we kind of do half of them, and the on site team takes on some of the operations. And then the other one, the last one, is basically where we just provide the technology to be able to run this and the operation smoothly, and we do nothing in terms of operations. So it's kind of a full service platform where the client chooses whether they just want software or whether they want us to deal with everything. I guess our belief is really that in the long term, institutional asset owners will want to run this themselves and they just then they will learn more about it with time and that they'll want to move to basically um, you know, run this themselves and, and keep the fees that they're paying away to us and pay us smaller fees, basically, but use our tech to, to run it. Right. And so we think that shift will happen slowly over the next kind of five to 10 years. Right. But in the meantime, we provide a full suite of services to kind of guide them on that journey, basically from, you know, them doing nothing through to them doing everything. Um, and so having that full offering is, is really important. So obviously you see still short-term rentals being a big part of our future, um, you know, and, and I can see that. 
where are different communities around laws, you know, from the most stringent to the, to the loosest, I guess the loosest is they don't have any, they don't have any legislation at all, but, but where are communities landing around short-term rentals? Um, yeah, I think typically what they try to prohibit is for you to have units that are consistently like full-time rented as short-term rentals. So basically doing what James okay. and I were doing. So if you're doing this, <laughs> 365 days a year indefinitely trying to you know generate as much income as you can you know that's what they don't like okay what they let what they will allow is for you to do some degree of it or some portion of your building or some portion of your property for a small amount of time so um you know in toronto for example they allow 180 days per per, per calendar year oh okay so yeah, I mean, in general, basically, they're trying to kind of, you know, they're they're okay with you doing it on a on a, on a small amount on a small scale, but um, or for for an indefinite, oh, sorry, for a for a sort of short period of time, definite, yeah, short period, a, de- yeah. a definite and short period of time. But if you're doing it indefinitely, that's where they they tend to crack down and and try to eliminate. Okay. Okay. Yeah. No. It's it really is interesting how it seems like we had all these hotels. And then you have all these short-term rentals and it's still exploding. There's not enough space in a lot of these big cities, right? In Toronto's and London's and New York's. So it really is, is fascinating how, how the market will just keep grabbing more space, you know, like, you know, the supply is so high or sorry, the demand so high. Yeah, exactly. I think, you know, um, there's an interesting comment from John Gray who runs, he's uh, the COO at, at, at Blackstone. He kind of, had this this stat that you know the travel industry has grown every single year at five percent for the last like fifty or sixty years or something like that. I probably misquoted that, but yeah, you know, basically he was talking about his confidence that it'll bounce back. And you know, this is a long term trend of basically the world becoming more connected and travel becoming cheaper and people liking to visit different parts of the world to see fa- friends, family, relatives, or or to travel for leisure for business. So. You know, that's a long-term societal trend. That's just kind of globalization. Yeah. And that'll come yeah. back. Um, so there's lots of uh, demand there for sure. Yeah. And so I know one thing as well that, that I was interested is, you, you know, you chose to move to London. So, yeah. you know, so what's that experience been like? And how do you look at, you know, working working in London for a number of years? Yeah. So I've been here about two and a half years now. Um, it's been a, a, a really great experience um i've i think you know saying to chris before the podcast i feel like there's there's a few cities in the world that if you if you get a chance to go live there you should just you just grab it and take it and and london is absolutely one of those for me where you know it's just an incredible city with so much to offer it's been really amazing i think just in terms of uh the kind of exposure to europe um the the exposure to kind of how how fragmented and how different the European market is from America and Canada, where you know doing business it's it's this huge, relatively homogenous market, which is just crazy. Whereas you know for us, we do business in Spain, we do business you know in Poland, in in Germany, totally different markets, right? Very fragmented, et cetera. But I think dealing with those cultural nuances is is really fun. Uh, it's really it's really interesting, and yeah, I think. I think uh, just living in London as well has been a, a really great experience and a really interesting place to be on a, on a personal note as well. Yeah, no, I can I can believe that. So, um, you know, what did you need to change about yourself coming from a you know university student to being a you know full time value creator in the in the in the world? 
that's a good question. Maybe just showing up on time and keeping the, uh, <laughs> the, the four for ability habits. Um, no, I think I'll maybe take that question in a slightly different track. I think something that student works has taught me, which I think has stood me in good stead in, in kind of every role I've had has just been viewing things, uh, from the perspective of a business owner rather than, you know, uh, just an employee as, as I think most people would that have only ever worked as an employee. Yeah. Right. And so I think, you know, whether it's my, my own business and hosted that I have with James or whether it's Lavanda, I, I look at things and I think of that of things as if I were to own the company. Right. Yeah. So I think that's been genuinely very well received, you know, um, by, by both colleagues and, and co-founders. And I think it really helps to, to just have people in your organization that, that think in terms of that way and are looking, you know, at how, how this makes sense in the wider business context, rather than just like, how do I do my job and get out of here um, you know, at the end of the day? And go 100%. So uh, that, yeah. that's definitely uh, helped me a lot. I love that. That's, that's right. a really great thing to put in. Just, just, you know, think like an owner, like yeah. just one more person at the table who's actually trying to say, how can we maximize value? And again, everyone knows value means value to the customer value to all the stakeholders, you know, and of course you're looking at your value, but I think so many people get stuck on what's in it for me. 100%. I'll work hard when I get paid. No, 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 no. Just go create a value. And then people are going to like, no, don't leave. And oh, here, here, get more money. And, and, uh, you know, this is, this is something that's going to make all the difference. Um, so yeah, no, I think that's just so great. And what about what about habits? What what key habits would someone want to steal from you? Some of the leaders listening. I, I don't I don't know if I'm terribly good at this, but I'll, I'll I'll share something that I think is important and I try to get better at all the time. And that okay, sure, that's fair. Crystal clear articulation of of, of ideas, and I probably okay. done a poor job of that on this call. But I think you know again talking about what works with clients, what works with colleagues. It's pretty much the same thing, and. You know, mm-hmm. more for ability habits, they're one thing I can absolutely say works super well and just makes things go easier. Right. The other thing is the more clearly you can articulate an idea, whether that's to a client in terms of the value I can add to your business, here is exactly yeah. what we should do and exactly how we can help you in a way that makes sense in their context and, and having done research yeah. in advance so that you understand their context so that it resonates with them. Yeah. Or whether that's a colleague internally and you're you're having an internal conversation about you know, something that needs to be done within the business. And again, articulating exactly what the problem is and exactly why you're concerned about it and what you think you should do to solve it. Again, if you, uh, a lot of people come in and, and, and they don't do that and you kind of just go, hey, there's this thing I've kind of noticed and I'm not too sure about it, but you don't articulate it clearly. And so they go, well, I'm busy. I can't be worried about this right now. But if you can yeah. really clearly express yourself, I think that's that's hugely important and and something that you can just get so much better at over time. Um, our CEO is, is fantastic at, at this um, and I really admire him for it and, and, and strive to kind of, you know, get better and better at that articulation piece all the time. Yeah. Well, I hear you. I think that's, that's, that's so powerful. And one of the reasons we aren't clear is because we're not clear. <laughs> so we actually have to do the work to get clear. Yeah. Maybe we've, you know, and again, you know, it's, it's, we've got to practice, we've got to go, how's, is this right? You know, and that's one of the, that's one of the, I think the key things about 
you know, the twenties, the twenties is the most important part of a, a young person's career or anybody's career. It's the twenties and, and it's spending time talking to people. And am I clear about this? Does this make sense? This is what I think is happening. Yeah. You know, and then, you know, I'm sure your CEO has learned this over time, you know, and just got more and more clear, more and more, you know, reps. To, and yeah. and and it's it's really it's really amazing when people have that skill set and it really sets them apart. Yeah, hundred hundred percent. And and I think just further on that, it's it's amazing how it helps both you know internally and externally because um, they're both the same thing and it's such an essential skill set. Yeah. So yeah. 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 So so I've got one final question, but before I ask that, is there anything you'd like to share? Anything that we missed or anything like that in our in our conversation here today? No, I mean just like to say thanks so much for, for, you know, absolutely changing my life through the, through the program. And I know that's very cheesy, but, you know, fundamentally just so true. And, you know, I had learned, learned so much during my time at student works and had a lot of fun as well during my time at at student works. (laughs) And I think, um, you know, it's definitely very much kind of the the path that I've taken, you know, since university um, and will continue to do so. So I'm uh, incredibly grateful that I, you know, did this uh, throughout, throughout my time at Queens basically. So yeah. Well, awesome. Well, well, Sam, thank you very much for all your effort, your commitment, your hard work. You know, as I mentioned, I guess, you know, we've got Devin Thompson, John Cameron, Luke Fenn. They're all three of ours, you know, three of our most senior leaders in the company all worked uh, under your tutelage as it were. Uh, <laughs> I'm not sure how much you taught them, but I tried. I, I'm yeah. not sure. Yeah, exactly. You know, definitely worked on your team yeah. and uh, I know speak super highly of you. So, so when you think of a leader of tomorrow, what comes to mind? I think, it, I think it's probably just, um, you know, really being able to understand and stitch together basically broad trends and be able to, you know, understand, I guess in a business context, I'll take this context, this question in a business context, understand what that, sure. the commercial implications of that. And so, you know, when you look at big fundamental changes that are, that are happening in society, you know, like what, what's happening in the retail space in terms of, in terms of real estate and what does that mean for the broader real estate market in terms of what happens to that space now to be able to, to understand that. I think, you know, amazing leaders are able to, are able to see those societal trends, but also then extrapolate from that and make a good guess about, you know, what that means commercially in terms of, uh, the underlying, you know, business model that, that can be successful in, in, in the new context. So that's incredibly hard to do. And you don't have to be around hundred yeah. percent of the time, but um, I think that's just an incredibly important uh, skill. Yeah, no. And, and one of the things that, you know, I, you know, I love my podcast, but I, but I've always loved just staying connected to our amazing alumni because what's interesting is so often they end up where the currents are going, sure. you know, where the opportunities are. And again, because they're looking and looking and looking, and they're seeing these opportunities that are being created and the market's moving in a certain direction and they're okay let's 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 get out there yeah. you know and let's be let's be moving in this space and obviously you 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 saw this opportunity early and 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 obviously you spent like i guess five five plus years now in this space yeah. and, and i think it's just again going to continue to grow we'll see where obviously the space takes us it'll obviously we see where your career takes you and uh, I know I'll be, uh, be be excited excited to hear about all your all your advancement and progress, Sam. Fantastic! Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Chris. Always really really great catching up, and um, yeah, I hope this was was generally helpful for for 
any listeners. Okay. It, I think it was fantastic. So you have a fantastic evening and uh, thanks again. Talk soon. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, bye. Cheers. Bye-bye. Hey, leaders. I hope you enjoyed this episode. By now, you are aware that we work with ambitious students every single year to not only help them run their first successful business, but to further their development as a leader and give them an unfair advantage in the future over their counterparts. It's why starting now and only for the next few weeks, we'll be on campuses across Ontario, Quebec, and the East Coast interviewing students who think they have what it takes to start their first business and get started down their path of entrepreneurship. If you think you have what it takes or know someone who might be interested, visit leaderspodcast.ca slash apply and start your application process today. Once again, it's leaderspodcast.ca slash apply. And I can't wait to see you on the other side.